Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 48, and we're going to be interviewing Dawn D. How are you doing today, Dawn? I am fantastic, Jim. Thanks for inviting me. No, I'm very happy to have you. So let's dive in. Tell us about, I guess, growing up in your childhood. Okay, back to the beginning. I was oh, born, yeah. I was born in 1970. Um, <laughs> I, uh, wow, I have, I have parents who hated each other and probably shouldn't have been parents. And, uh, you know, substance abuse problems way back then. Some people say that um, alcoholism is genetic. And if it is, then I got it through my genes. For so sure. they drank their their drug of choice was alcohol. Uh, you know, there I wasn't I wasn't recording things when I was little, but uh, my understanding I can't always tell what stories are true and what they're not. But my my understanding is that um, my dad did a variety of drugs throughout his life, and my mom liked to drink, smoke some pot. And, uh, I was not, my mom loves me desperately, but I was not a priority, right? Because other things, um, other things came first. And then, you know, my mom and dad were divorced when I was two and, uh, then my mom remarried and I'm pretty certain that my, my stepfather was, um, something strange is happening on my screen right now. Everything just went black. Um, I can still see you on mine. Okay, I'll keep talking. Um, My stepfather, I think, um, was uh, also a drug addict. Um, He may have shot heroin. I never saw it myself, but um, there was chaos, total chaos in my life growing up. And that would explain some of that. Um, My grandmother, who was my favorite person on the planet, she was sober 20 years when she died. She also drank excessively when I was young. And I was my just mom, about to say, wow, that really runs in the family, huh? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, on both sides of my family, back and back and back, I've heard stories um, about just all kinds of, you know, my father had a, a really abusive um, mom who um, drank when he was a kid. And, you know, that my parents come by their, you know, coping skills, um, because that's what they were exposed to. And so, you know, then my mom told me just yesterday, my mom told me that my grandmother um, got sober because of me, because she showed up once again at their house, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, completely tanked. And my mom told her she couldn't come anymore. She couldn't come to my house, uh, our house, because it was bad for me. And so, um, you know, my grandma got sober after that. And then I went to meetings with her when I was young. How young? Um, Well, let's see if I got sober. I got sober when I was 22. Okay. And so I think probably 10 years before that. So you were 12. Okay. Yeah. About about that. And, and when my grandma got sober, she was really active in the program that she belonged to. And she um, ran the central office where she lived. And um, 
I would unpack literature with her. Like I would come across these pamphlets about, um, I don't remember what it's called, but some like where's Alice or something. And it seems so like scandalous to me that there's cartoon pictures of this woman all passed out with a bottle and her children looking on in the background. And, you know, that was kind of my life. And, and there it was on display for people to see. And I would read it and, you know, file literature up on the wall for my grandmother. And then at noon, she would lock up the central office and we would cross the street to the Alano club and we would go to a meeting. And so I had the experience of um, you know, clean and sober people and um, meetings and the 12 steps and, you know, the serenity prayer and all of that stuff, even though I wasn't attending the meetings for myself, my grandmother was there and I would eat lunch and listen and hold hands with the old guys at the end and keep coming back, you know, and um, I think the seed was planted for me so that after I was finished with my short stint of very crazy I knew where to go so what was school like growing up uh for me going to school was kind of a safe haven um I'm smart and so as a result I got pulled out you know and recognized by teachers and special reading groups and um, opportunities to be appreciated. Um, You know, my teachers took, uh, they took care of me. And so I felt safe going to school and I was successful going to school. And, you know, at my house, we were poor. We we had um, circumstances where the lights weren't always on and I remember my mom and I sitting on the couch watching the mice chase each other and that was like entertainment oh my god yeah (laughs) and and uh and and furthermore I mean I haven't even mentioned the fact that my stepfather molested me I mean and he used to beat up my mom like it was horrendous and so going to school made it safer like that was a place where those things didn't happen but uh what I was going to say about you know being poor that I remember um these little red tickets that they would give the kids who got free lunches which and it's ridiculous to give a little kid a a red ticket at the beginning of the day and tell them not to lose it (laughs) and then at lunchtime you have to present that little red ticket and get free lunch um and I just remember being feeling different and ashamed um you know there's the red ticket line and then there's the not red ticket line and and feeling um yeah less than um and you know my mom my mom left my stepfather when I was I want to say 10 ish um she left she went back she left she may have gone back a couple of times actually because that you know sick cycle and relationships but um eventually you know it was just my mom and I and and she had to figure out ways to 
clothe a teenager and, you know, keep up with, with all of that. And so she had two or three jobs and I remember wearing, you know, jeans that were too small for me and feeling super weird, awkward and ugly. And and because I had had uh, sexual abuse, you know, being ashamed of my body and who, who, not having an idea who I was or, or um, not having any self-awareness. So I was an awkward teenager and school is always awkward for, for kids, you know, middle school kids in particular, but I remember feeling really weird in middle school. And that's when I started getting high because. What was your first experience getting high? Well, I think it was smoking pot, but it may have been uh, warm beer on the railroad tracks with a friend. So, you know, those things were happening at kind of the same time. Um, so it was one or the other. Yeah, it was one or the other. And um, I really liked checking out. You know, there was a lot, a lot for me to process and deal with and digest in my life and I didn't have any skills to do that nobody was helping me with that process you know we, we really had like a you know don't talk about it keep you, what do you secret. mean you, you mean like zone out like mentally just have nothing on your mind or what do you mean uh well I mean that you know I I had I had all this fucked up childhood and I didn't want to deal with it or I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know what to do to deal with it. I didn't know that people could deal with it. We kept secrets. We didn't talk about that stuff. And so um, checking out by drinking or or getting high was my solution. Gotcha. I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to process all of that. Understood. Yeah. So did your parents ever seek help? Did they ever try to go to rehab? Did they ever do anything like that? No, (laughs) no way. Like I have, you know, I don't live with either one of my parents. I don't know really what goes on with them, but you know, my dad is an older man and he's had some health problems and I know that he, um, he did some jail time and, and, um, he was doing some pretty heavy drugs and it was, um, you know, he, he was forced to not do them anymore because he was in jail, but he, you know, he's, he's dry now, but he doesn't have any pro- program. He's never been to therapy as far as I know. This is my biological father. And, you know, he's never done anything to treat those things my mom also has, you know, I don't know what she does. They don't, they don't put that stuff on display for me. They know that I'm clean and sober. So I feel like I'm kind of cushioned, um, insulated from whatever they're doing. But I know for sure that my mom thinks if she went to therapy or if she sought any kind of help, that it would destroy her emotionally. You know, she's, she, she shuts it all down and, and tries to, go through life without feeling it. I'm the opposite. I'm like, I put myself in therapy when I was in high school. I asked for 
therapy. I asked to seek, you know, some kind of help. And I got put into a group. There was a little white bus, little white van that came and picked me up after school every day for a while while I was in high school. Where did um, it take you? It took me to the next city over where there was like a uh, teenage, uh, I, I don't know what, what it would be called, but it was like these kids who were kind of fucked up. We all got thrown together. We would have group therapy and we would have um, individual therapy and we would um, go on field trips and have activities together. And it was just a way, I think, for us to have some kind of community. There were like five of us, I think. And um, not, you know, hopefully not fall into being bad kids. But I was totally a bad kid. And, and I have, you know, I have a lot of privilege. I'm like, I, I'm a, a cute white girl. So I could do things that other people can't do and not get in trouble. Yep. Um, I remember, you know, I used to hang out in so after my mom left my stepdad we moved to this sort of nice suburb in LA and these wonderful older this wonderful older couple rented us the house behind theirs and they never raised our rent the whole time we were there for like nine years super generous people and I would have parties in that house and I would invite people over and we you know trash things and we were noisy and I um you know, I drove drunk and I went and, you know, we had a curfew for um, people under 18 where I think it was, I don't know, nine o'clock where you had to be off the streets. And um, we would go to one friend's house and drink beer on his front lawn. And sometimes the cops would roll up and harass us. And, um, you know, we were, we were kind of punks. We were causing problems I think I think I don't remember a lot because I I started drinking pretty heavily during that time but I think um, one time when we were drinking at the school that one of the guys broke into a classroom and and sprayed um, fire extinguisher in the classroom I didn't actually see it with my own eyes but like that's the kind of shit that I was participating in and if the police got involved you know it was kind of a pat on the head and you know go on home, little girl. Uh, so I didn't get in trouble for a lot of things, but I should have. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about, as you're, uh, as you're getting older, tell me about that. All right. So um, first I will say that when I was 15 and a half, I was in a car accident. I was a passenger in a car and there were six of us in the car. They're all crammed in there. Uh, all crammed into a little Honda Prelude. And um oh God, six people. That's a two-door car, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so I had told my mom that I was gonna spend the night at my friend's house, and my friend told her mom that she's gonna spend the night at my house. And okay. we just never never went home. And um we were drinking and smoking and probably swallowing things and um, got into this car with a boy that we didn't know and he was driving recklessly and we ran into a big old walnut tree and oh. the car wrapped itself around the tree and the engine was in the front seat he died he oh, was cr- crushed by the steering wheel and um 
my best friend and I, who were sharing the passenger seat without a seatbelt on, had to be pulled out of the car with the jaws of life because it, the dashboard was, all, you know, wrapped around us. And so you were in the front seat. Yeah, I was in the front seat, and we were in the hospital. I was in the hospital, I think, for two weeks, and that might have been a good time to reevaluate my drinking and drug use. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Might have been a good time to say, oh, this is bad. You know, somebody died. The other people in the car, there were major, major traumatic injuries. I lost a ton of blood. I broke my femur. I, you know, lots of punctured my lung. I, they thought I was going to die. Lots of very bad things happened. And um, instead, after that, and it may have been too, like, again, no processing, no therapy, no, no way of dealing with all of these emotions, no adults to talk to. Um, I definitely turned to drugs and alcohol. That was, you know, more coping. I think that's so much of why I drank and used coping, coping, coping with all of this stuff. So uh, I'm getting older. I graduate from high school. I move out with my boyfriend. Um, he was the first person who told me that he didn't like me when I drank. Um, at that time, I think I had a bottle of vodka under the driver's seat of my car. Um, so at some point with him, I quit drinking for a while. I think it. when I tell the story, I say that it was a year. I don't know if that's accurate, but about a year. Um, and, and in that time I broke up with him and I moved far away and I just, you know, found new friends who drank like my old friends did. And, um, and eventually, you know, I drank again. Go back yeah. into it. Yeah. And, and drinking is definitely my drug of choice. Like I, it's, it's legal. Um, I was too young to buy it, but I could, you know, find someone to buy it for me. Um, there is, there are plenty of people who like to buy alcohol for young girls. And, oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And so, you know, plenty of predators in my life, plenty of sexual assaults in my life, more reason to drink because I have to, you know, cope with um, all of those things. And I like, I don't know. I just wanted to be numb. I just want to be numb. Sometimes I had a great time when I drank. Sometimes I was the party girl and people loved having me around and I was fun and wild and I would do brave things. And sometimes I took off my clothes. People like that. Guys like that. Um, and, um, and sometimes when I drank, I projectile vomited and I misplaced my shoes and I had sex with somebody else's boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, I didn't, my actions didn't match my intentions and I could blow it off. Oh, I was drinking, you know, but people don't really like hanging out with that person once it starts to get messy. Um, I found myself you know, hang out with lower and lower companions because then they're the identified problem, not me. I'm not the problem. 
I can think of lots of circumstances where that happened, where, you know, I, I would be hanging out with people who were committing crimes and I could say like, you know, that person's a problem. Look at that. Or, you know, for instance, right before I got sober, there was a woman that I spent time with whose her girlfriend was a friend of mine and I was living in San Francisco at the time and I liked to hang out with them because uh, this woman drank way worse than I did like she was a menace to society she would be kicked off of public transportation because she drank so bad in San Francisco that's a big deal and um, you know she would get angry and she had guns and she broke windows and she was she was crazy she was dangerous and um, I hung out with them because I could say to my friend, like, wow, your girlfriend's really fucked up. You know, that's, I, I don't know why you stay with her. She's passed out again. Can I have another beer? And uh, she tried to kill herself and ended up strapped down at San Francisco General. Did that have anything to do with any type of drugs? Was she? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. But what I do know is that um, the good people of AA came to visit her in that hospital. Really? And, yep. And they um, they reached out to her, and she got sober. That's and, great. Yeah, and I went over there a couple of times after that um she was bright eyed and clear skinned and funny i had known that she was funny um she was changing i was watching her change and i didn't want to go over there anymore because it made me uncomfortable like who am i going to party with now and um Shortly thereafter, when I had my last drink, I called her and she took me to a meeting and I've been sober ever since. So at what age did that happen? I was 22, so October 27th, 1992. That's your clean date. It is. And, um, and for me, I know it's not true for everyone, but for me, clean and sober is important. That's what I do. Um, so not only do I not drink alcohol, but I also don't smoke anything and I don't take pills that don't belong to me. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not checking out anymore. I'm present and I'm feeling all the feelings and, um, yeah. So. Anyway, so back to, uh, I called her, uh, you know, I, I, my last night drinking was not exciting. I've got way more excitement in, you know, my life leading up to that. But, but the last night that I was drinking, I was in a bar. I felt um, lonely. I was surrounded by people, but I didn't feel like anybody knew me because, well, because they didn't because I was so guarded and I had so much armor. I say it like this, addiction is a lonely place to be. Yeah, yeah. Because I couldn't 
feel. I could, I was afraid to feel because if I did, I would have to feel all that shit that I've just told you about. And I was incapable of doing that alone. I didn't know how. And so, um, you know, everybody's got some kind of armor and it's really easy to identify if you like look at somebody who's got, you know, a mohawk and a leather jacket with spikes on it, you know, that that's clear. That's their armor. For me, my armor has always been like smiling. Everything's great. I'm fine. Um, putting on a mask. Yeah. Putting on a mask. A lot of us addicts, a lot of us addicts do that. A lot of, I think humans do that, but just different, different levels. Fair enough. That's fair enough. I was, I was not interested in letting anyone get to know me. And so, you know, so there I was in a bar full of people, some of whom I knew, some of whom I partied with regularly. And I felt alone and I felt pathetic and I had tried not to drink previously. Um, I said I wasn't going to, I meant it with every fiber of my being. And then by the end of the day, I was drinking again. Oh, you froze up in case you could hear me. All right, Dawn froze up here. We're going to give it a few moments. See if we get her back on the line. 